Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Full Throttle Podcast for Monday, the 14th of June. And James Whittam and myself, Greg Haynes, we're on a high here. We've, <laughs> we've just come off air. And uh, Super Sport 300 at Mizano, I've never seen anything like it. Completely mental, honestly. Uh, any number of, what, about 25 riders could have won it, really? I mean, it was a, just such a... I, I want, I'm going to say a cracking race, but actually, it was just madness from scary. start to finish. Yeah, quite scary. A lot of jinking around, trying to get in and out of the slipstream. And it was just mad, completely mad. And it was a little bit survival of the fittest. There were some more intelligent and less intelligent riders than others. I mean, <laughs> I think Victor Stamen took the kind of award for scariest. Uh, and probably Anna Carrasco and Tombo Demos, the one, one second, uh, the award for being the most intelligent. He, he caught out Tombo Demos in the end. Anna Carrasco went on to win, and what a win that was. Fantastic. We're just watching the race back on uh, some clips in the commentary box, and I've realised now what happened at the hairpin on the last lap. Gabrielli, Gabrielli Mastraluca hit Okaya, who crashed. He was hit by the cancellus, so that's why Mastraluca was dropped back off the podium. Stamen had his penalty for exceeding track limits three times. There's no point going through every single incident because there's just too many of them. You've got to watch that back. Yeah, you've got to watch it. It's yeah. completely mental. Uh, it's on the Eurosport app. Yep. And uh, Eurosportplayer.com as well. Uh, let's listen in first of all <laughs> to give us a chance to get our breath back to Anna Carrasco because she's had a horrible uh, back injury last year and uh, fully recovered from that now. But uh, it was Anna Carrasco who won the race. Ana Carrasco, your first victory of the 2021 season. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, honestly, I didn't expect the victory today because yesterday was a hard race. Also, the weekend was not going as I wanted, but uh, yeah, I cannot be more happy than now. We are uh, so far from here after the injury, and I want to say thanks to my team, to, to all my family, because they helped me a lot to, to be here today. Thank you. Well done, Anna Carrasco, and well done, Carla Grau and the whole team. That was absolutely crazy. Well, coming up in the podcast, we've got a magic moment from the man who's done such a great job on the Eurosport sofa alongside Matt and James Hayden this weekend, Christian Hidden. So we'll look forward to uh, Christian's magic moment in a few minutes' time. But I guess, first of all, James, we've got to talk about uh, World Superbike because we've had... Two new winners for the season. Uh, Michael Rinaldi doing a double. Yeah. And Toprak Razgatioglu. And it seems as though the championship is very much on. Yeah, it does. Uh, 
Toprak first. Um, Toprak has finally got a win. He's been there or thereabouts uh, all season uh, and managed over the three races to nibble uh, Jonathan Ray's leading the championship down to what? What's he down to now? Twenty, 20 points. points. Twenty points. Yeah. So good weekend for Toprak. Finally got his win that we've been expecting. His first win this season, anyway. Uh, yeah, great. Look competitive all weekend. Look to be riding for the win all weekend as well. Loose and fast and good. You know, like he when top rack's quick, he's got that much bike control. He almost looks out of control most of the time. But because it's him and he's got such good bike skill, um, he doesn't he doesn't tend to make a lot of mistakes. He looks like he's gonna do most corners, but just brilliant riding for top rack. Uh, and Michael Ruben and Aldi, yeah. Um, finally got going this season. He's looked on the back foot for both of the previous meetings to me, both Aragon and Estoril. He's not looked as though... It, well, I think he's looked nervous. He's looked like he's been nervous in a factory team, looked like he's felt a little bit of extra pressure because of that. Um, no, this meeting, fair enough, it's his own meeting. He's a lot of experience around Mazzano. He lives 10 minutes up the road in Rimini. Uh, but, yeah, what a brilliant, brilliant meeting. Top point scorer, two wins and a second, and really looked... Uh, the pick of the crop this weekend. Yeah, pick of the crop. Good way to describe them, I think. Let's listen in then to both of them. Michael Rinaldi, an absolutely superb weekend. He's dropped only five points. Uh, so if he scored 57 from a maximum of 52. That is, uh, sorry, 57 from a maximum of 62. Here's Michael Rinaldi and Toprak Resgatioglu, the two winners at the weekend. Michael, it wasn't the third ring in a row, but I don't think you're too displeased at that. A near-perfect weekend in front of your home fans. Yes, I'm uh, really happy. Not perfect, but uh, almost. Uh, sincerely, this afternoon, Toprak uh, had a better pace. I tried my best, uh, but my best wasn't enough to, to win. So it was easy to make a mistake, easy to crash. And uh, last uh, four laps, I must say to myself, it's okay second. I hate arrive second, but uh, it's okay. I'm happy about the weekend, so I want to thank the fans, the team, and uh, everybody all around the world. Thank you. Congratulations, Michael. Toprak, you told us so many times this season that you were tired of podiums, you needed that win, and here it is, a fantastic race. Finally, I am win. Today, uh, for, sorry, to, to, uh, this week, we are uh, too much working for this, but uh, all races, second, second, I say uh, my team and uh, last race, I need win because enough, second, second, second. But I am here, I am very happy, thanks to my team because this weekend, an uh, incredible job. Because, okay, I am ride a bike, but important also my bike. And uh, yeah, we are happy. Thank you, and see you in the next race. Thank you. Congratulations, Top Rack. Very well-deserved, too. Great characters. Uh, Jonathan Ray, then. Not as much damage limitation as Scott Redding had to, uh, had to apply in the races, James. But even so, no Kawasaki win in the Superbike class this weekend. Yeah, um, three podiums, though. What are you going to do? You know, we all know that uh, Jonathan Ray, if he hasn't got the pace or doesn't feel he's got the setup at all, bike exactly in the right place for him to win, well, he'll take the seconds and he'll take the thirds. And it's, it's, it's paid off before. And, uh, you know, he did what he had to do with I think it was a little bit of a damage limitation exercise, really. They didn't uh, go pre season. Uh, 
didn't do the pre-season test at Mizano. Maybe that affected him a little bit, although conditions and certainly track temperatures are very different to when they were here earlier on in March. So did it make any difference? Uh, certainly struggled a little bit with setup. Wasn't too far away. But still, three times on the podium, it's not a bad weekend, is it? Exactly, and he's the only rider, actually, who's finished on the podium in all of the nine races so far this season. And if you just think, Jonathan Ray could have quite easily had two big fat zeros next to his name when he was pushed off the track at Aragon by Gerloff and had the uh, presence of mind to go across the gravel and the grass and not try and turn it because he would have crashed. Uh, and then he let some riders through when he rejoined. He did everything right. And then this weekend, race one on Saturday, the mother of all saves. Incredible. Yeah, it was. Uh, basically, uh, he, he, he'd lost the front. The rear went then. The thing's sliding along. His leg is completely jammed under the fairing. His elbow's on the floor. The, the handlebars are turned in because the front wheel's struggling for grip. The bike was laid across on its right-hand side. And he just kept with it. He stayed with it. He dug his knee and he dug his elbows in. He pushed, he forced the handlebars into the tarmac and the thing came back up again. I, I think it's as far as I've seen anybody go on their knee and still get away with it, with a possible exception of a couple of Mark Marquez incidents. I remember turn one at Valencia being a massive one for Marquez uh, that he saved. But this was a big, big save for Jonathan Ray. And let's remember... These uh, superbikes weigh more than MotoGP bikes, uh, so a bit more difficult uh, to get away with shoving your knee in the ground and picking it up. Uh, the, the amazing thing for me is that he stayed with it and kept trying to get it back up because a lot of riders, in fact most, would have just bailed, and he didn't. Uh, brilliant save. And Jonathan said uh, when he was chatting with Matt Roberts and James Hayden and Christian Eden on the show on Sunday that he actually used his left leg. He said he got a bit lucky, didn't he? And he used his left leg. Uh, I think it got caught on the seat unit, did he say? So what, he sort of so pulled him more off the thing? Uh, so Yeah, sort of pulled him more to the right. I think that's what he said, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly, it didn't matter what happened. He didn't give up on it. He didn't let go of the handlebars. He didn't try and get away from the sliding bike and, you know, save himself injury. Because if you stay with your bike and then it grips and flips you over or whatever happens, your barrier still, you know, connected to your bike, well, the injury is going to be worse. So to have the, I won't even say presence of mind, to have the minerals... To actually stick with it and try and save it. Uh, yeah, and not only that, he dropped about four seconds in the incident and he only lost the race by five. So he didn't lose too much and he got going quick. And uh, yeah, brilliant. Good, good, good save that. Yeah, it does make you think that he certainly would have had a very, very good chance of attacking uh, Rinaldi. But what's done is done, I suppose. Just quickly before we move on from that, what percentage of riders do you reckon would have even attempted to save that? Uh... Don't know. I, I, I'd be plucking a figure, but um, not many. Um, yeah, there's, there's many that are just, as soon as that front end goes, you think, well, that's it, I'm off, I'll bail. <laughs> uh, I would just throw in as well a, a shout out for Scott Redding, because I think, although yep. he didn't have a great weekend by his standards, I actually think, under the circumstances, I think he did have a great weekend. Really good damage limitation after what happened on Friday. Yeah, uh, lost half the first session with the bike blowing up, and then lost 20 minutes of the second session, so half the second session as well. Um, when he really needed, he, he lost that because he didn't get off the track immediately when he was given the, the meatball flag. It cruised around, albeit offline, and, and mostly actually off the track. He did it on the concrete part, so it didn't spread any oil anywhere for anybody else to, to hit. But anyway, it was, it was penalised uh, 20-minute uh, detention, as it were, for the FP2 session. Cost him dearly, actually. 
uh, because he needed the track time, didn't have perfect setup. So it did cost him, but didn't give up, dug in, and because uh, because Jonathan Ray wasn't dominant in this at this meeting, only ended up dropping seven points to his championship rival. So yeah, it was a it was a not a, not a such a damaging weekend for Scott where it could have been. Yeah, they would have taken that, wouldn't they? Yeah. When he dropped seven points to Jonathan Ray after the mood they were all in at Ducati yeah. on Friday night. Definitely. All well nigh unbelievable, really. Uh, let's uh, talk about tyres. Right, so we had two qualifying tyres available for the first time. Yep. What did you make of that? Uh, yeah, this was to get around the problem that if a yellow flag is displayed in the 15-minute uh, single one and only qualifying station for superbikes, uh, then... Uh, it doesn't cost you your fastest lap if the yellow flags are out because your lap's cut. If you go past the yellow flag or the yellow flags are out anywhere and you're on that, that whatever lap you go past that yellow flag, uh, your lap's cut. And if that happens to be a fast lap on your qualifying tyre, you're not going to go as quick and that's going to cost you a lot of grid positions. So they've decided that the best way out of that um, and not have it happen again is to give everybody two qualifying tyres. So if they do get held up on one of them, then uh, they get a second bite of the cherry. What that means is it's more of a hectic uh, session because everybody's going to use those two. It's not like you're going to keep one in reserve. You're going to use both. And in actual fact, when you've got a qualifying rear tyre on, it takes you probably three or four corners. Different riders are different. Some can make the best out of it earlier on. Um, most riders take a couple of corners, three corners, half the lap, whatever, to just understand how much grip that rear tyre is giving them and make the most of it. But when you've got one to put in and have one go, and then that gives you the understanding, and then you get the second one, I think it'll make a little bit of a difference going forward to lap times. I think it'll bring him down by probably a couple of tenths of a second. We've uh, still got the magic moment to come from Christian Eden, but first of all, World Supersport. So, yeah, track limits again were discussed at some length in the show on yep. Sunday. And Steve Odendahl exceeded them three times, had a long lap penalty, which eventually became a post-race time penalty because it was given so late in the race. And as a result, loses a race win. It's the first time we've seen that happened before a race win compromise because of a long lap penalty but rules are rules i suppose yeah they all know the rules um i was really uh, disappointed and i felt really sorry for for steven odendahl because that second race that he actually went across the line first before he even knew before i got to knew of the penalty and therefore they're kind of exchanging uh, results really uh, he'd ridden really well. They'd obviously made some changes overnight because he looked a lot more competitive in the second Supersport race of the weekend, did Stephen Odendahl, than did in the first. Uh, but he'd had a brilliant ride. He'd had a really, really good ride. It had been a difficult race. There'd been a lot of bumping and barging and, and people off and, and incidents had been... We thought there was going to be uh, a red flag at one point with the Thule incident down there at Tremonto. Marshalls did a good job getting it cleared up. Uh, there was also oil down and... and um, there was, in the second incident, there was a red flag. So the race had to be run over 12 laps. That was for oil down that, I think, uh, caused the accident of... Maria Herrera. Maria Herrera. So it was a, it was a, an incident pack race that Odendahl seemed to get the best of and get across the line first. So I was really disappointed uh, when he was given the penalty. However, we did see him off the track onto the green paint a couple of times, and I don't think he can really... Uh, complained too much. He, you know, he was he was sort of guilty as charged, but disappointing for him really. Um, 
because there's a championship at stake, I feel, with him. You know, I'm just thinking as well, because it looks almost certain, didn't it, as though oil or something had leaked out onto Maria Herrera's rear tyre. Yeah. That bike had been pretty badly smashed up, hadn't it, in the first race when she got pushed off by yep. Alcoba. Yeah. I wonder whether that's something Maybe, that's Maybe, and, and, and sometimes it's something as, as as simple as a, you know, a hose, a, a water hose, a cooling hose not tightened up or a slightly frayed oil pipe that they didn't spot and then when the oil pressure gets up to maximum in the second race it, it bursts that out so yeah. it can be something like that but certainly I don't think the uh, Maria Herrera accident was her doing uh, I hope she's all right and uh, certainly it caused it, it caused the red flag and it had to be stopped because there was quite a lot of fluid down there yeah, poor Maria though that's two really good points uh, finishes that have been completely taken away from her by no fault of her own no fault of yeah, her own yeah, exactly, pushed off yeah. the track at the last corner on Saturday and that problem on uh, Sunday uh, we're not going to go into detail about every single incident over the weekend because there's been so many but uh, what we can say of course is that we're very very pleased Eugene Laverty is okay yeah. Uh, scary incident on Saturday. Chas Davis has had a nightmare of a weekend, and he actually, of course, James had to pull into the pits uh, with physical issues after the crash in the yeah, sprint and, race. And let me tell you, he's a tough lad. If yes. if the pain was too much for him to take, well, it must have been bad. Uh, yeah, I, I think probably what we're going to find out is it looked to me like he'd dislocated or popped the shoulder out and it had gone back in in the incident itself. It clipped uh, the back end of, was it Myers? Yes, it was. Uh, that flipped him almost like a, a front end high side, if you like, and it dumped him on the track. His shoulder touched down first and I think it, it just knocked it out of uh, a joint for either while he got back into the pitch. They didn't call it as that, so I think it will have gone back in straight away, but that's a painful, painful injury. And think, you've got, you know, with as many changes of direction as we've got at uh, Mizano, you've got to hold the bike. A lot of work's been done by your, your legs, but a lot of work has been done by your upper body as well, and your shoulders are key to that. So uh, to sum up our winners of the weekend, if you didn't see all the races, Superbikes, Rinaldi did a double, and then Top Rack in World Supersport, it was Dominic Agata who did a double for 10 Carter. So he's won three races, and Steve Odendahl's won three. Great championship fight there. And in the Supersport 300s, Adrian Huertas on Saturday, Anna Carrasco, as we've already said, on Sunday. Now, a man who was overseeing the whole thing and doing a great job of uh, describing what was happening for us as a pundit was Christian Idden. He was in the studio with Matt and with James. And this week's magic moment comes from Christian Idden. We had a great one last week from Barry Nutley. Let's see what Christian's got to say. Now then, boys. Right, my magic moment is my first ever racing memory. So I'm going to take you way, way back. And it's not my first racing memory. It's my first memory of sort of being at a racetrack. Um, and it was back when my dad had, I think, just finished his racing career, but was still involved in the paddock a little bit. And we were at the um, 500 Grand Prix as they were back then. Um, and at Donington Park, I can't remember exactly how old I would have been, but I was pretty much a nipper. Um, and yeah, my first ever racing memory is at Redgate Bar or Lodge, whatever it was back then when they had it, um, when there was basically a pub at Turn 1. And um, the Australian wild man that was Anthony Gobert, um, had me swinging upside down and I can actually remember quite vividly my hair um, just scraping the floor as he swung me held by my ankles left to right left to right and I think he wasn't exactly in a full fit state to be doing such a thing with a child I don't think he knew i.e. me um, but the biggest memory I have of that moment apart from my hair just brushing the ground was my mum going absolutely clean nuts at him because he was... <laughs> 
<laughs> had her pride and joy <laughs> by the ankles <laughs> swinging from side to side. Anyway, I got away with the escapade um, and I think Gobert managed to sober up and did quite well the following day from memory. So uh, yeah, that's my magic moment, my first ever race memory. <laughs> Cheers, guys. The pub at Redgate Corner. It sounds like there's been a few incidents there over the years. Yeah, and actually, I've known Christian basically since he was born because I used to race with his, his dad, uh, Paul. And in actual fact, when Paul, uh, when Christian was a, a real youth, I mean, he, he was his dad had him on bikes. Like many of us do, you got your kids on bikes from them being about three years old. Christian was racing competitively from about five or six, if I remember rightly. And his dad used to come over to buy Avgas for... Uh, Christian's little two-stroke motocross bike as, and he used to bring Christian with him sometimes so it was a I've known Christian a long long time and can I say well done in the studio his analysis was brilliant uh, and um, I really enjoyed it actually yeah and, and good looking BSB this year Christian yeah definitely we'll talk about BSB in a second um, Anthony Gobert of course was mentioned there as well memories of Anthony Gobert yeah memories uh, mixed uh, memories of Anthony Gobert I, I always get asked who was the most talented person you ever raced with. And if in terms of natural talent, I don't think you could get much better than Anthony Gober. He was exceptionally talented on a bike. In fact, to the point that he didn't really know how he was doing it. So when it started to go wrong, for whatever reason, it was difficult for him to fix because he'd never had to work that hard in the first place. He was just brilliantly talented. He came past me in the way of Phillip Island on a bike that wasn't as good as mine, on tyres that weren't as good as mine, and cleared off in the distance. And if I just tried to stay with him, I'd have lasted two corners and gone in the trees. So, an unbelievably talented man. Other memories of Anthony are the dafter side to go, but always liked to drink. Uh, got himself in and out of trouble. And there was a couple of fights in the paddock, I remember. And just, just a, a real character was Anthony. But in terms of raw talent on a bike, unbelievable. Right, stay with us for the last few minutes of this podcast. Uh, a bit of talk about BSB while we've got Wit with us, because it's just around the corner. Not this coming weekend, but the one after Alton Park, the first meeting of the season. Okay, so you've been to, I think, two tests, haven't you? Alton Park and Donington Park yep. for tests this pre-season, James. Obviously, to see what's happening, catch up with people, shoot some stuff for our Eurosport programme. What should we expect from BSB this year? Uh, you, from BSB, you can expect exactly what we are used to seeing from BSB, and that is hard, close action, different riders winning, different manufacturers winning. One of the reasons for that is we go to such diverse circuits in the UK for BSB. So circuits like Cadwell, you're going to almost by default get a different rider and bike combination winning at Cadwell as you are let's say at Thruxton completely different nature to the tracks and then different again at let's say Knock Hill which is a real scratches paradise so expect the same uh, expect the usual suspects up front but that's not to say we're not going to see somebody pop up who we don't expect um and just about every manufacturer looks good at this point. Um, I think they're all in the mix. Uh, I think the new BM looks good. Yamaha's going well. I think Suzuki looks like it's going well as well. So you, you can't really, you know, all of them. Uh, Pre-season favourite, haven't really got one. Um, if I had to put money on it, uh, you'd probably put it somewhere near Josh Brooks, but not straight on the nose. I don't think it's um, it's a difficult one to, cause and, uh, to call. And at this time in the season... Just before it starts, that's a brilliant position to be in, I think. Having not been at those tests myself, the feeling I get from chatting with you and chatting with riders and other people is that 
perhaps the BMW is the most improved bike? Yeah, I think the BMW, uh, it looks a lot more competitive than it does in uh, World Superbike trim because one of the things we see in Britain is there's, there's lots of these quirky circuits. It's got some aerodynamic aids. It's got less of the electronic sort of interference because in BSB we're on MoTeC controlled ECU. So that's a level playing field for everybody in the UK. That seems to be benefiting uh, BMW. But I think there's a little bit of something in these wings, you know, at the front, causing a bit of downforce. Not too much, but there's, a, there's three or four circuits in the UK where the bike gets big wheelie problems, where riders without any devices have to shut the bike off. And the word after Alton Park, which is three points on that circuit where you really have to stop the bike wheeling. To do that, you've got to shut the throttle or hit the rear brake. And that obviously causes the bike's forward motion to be impeded somewhat. Uh, and these wings seem to be at work, or seem to be working there. Uh, chatted with Hickey there; he said that. So let's uh, let's hope, let's hope we've got a competitive BM. Yeah, and you have to think that will go particularly well then at places like Alton Park, coming yeah. up over the top of Clay Hill Alton and Park, Knock Cadwell Hill. Park, Knock Hill. Yep, yep. Cadwell, yeah. Yep. But interestingly, Alton and, and Knock Hill, of course, because they're the first two on the schedule, aren't they? Yep. So we will see what happens now. Of course, one final thing I will say, without getting into any detail, because it would be a waste of time. But by the time this podcast has gone out and you're listening to us. We will have had an announcement from the UK government to see what the latest is in terms of Freedom Day or the delay to Freedom Day or whatever's going to happen. Let's hope for the absolute minimal effect and minimal disruption for both BSB and, of course, the Donington World Superbike Round, which is the next on the agenda. But uh, this weekend, we're off. Next weekend is Alton Park and then Donington World Superbikes. We'll be back, though, with the podcast next Monday. No regs weekend, but there will still be a podcast. That'll be Monday the 21st of June, and we're going to be joined by Tom Booth Amos after a very dramatic Supersport 300 and great disappointment to the end of his weekend at Mizana. So Tom Booth Amos on the show next week. But James, for now, thanks very much. It's been a hell of a weekend of commentary, hasn't it? Cheers, Greg. Hell of a weekend of racing. Great cup of tea for us, I think, now. Yeah, yeah or something stronger. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, I'll see you at Alton Park. Cheers, buddy. 